back to another episode of Friends of the Vine Wine Podcast. So this episode features Brooke Martin. She is a wine writer, wine blogger, and has a great social media presence on Instagram. She's called The Brooke Blend. She has that kind of charm and warmth and it almost feels like you have a a friend that you trust that's giving you suggestions for wine. She has a great little influence on, on Instagram and we sat down the other day and had a little chat. We get into a variety of topics. Let's get right into it. would love to start though with finding out a little bit more about like kind of how you, how you got in the wine though that would be kind of where i would start and then we can we can go into you know a variety of stuff after that sounds good yeah so how, how did you get in the wine anyway <laughs> well um it was about 14 years ago on my honeymoon actually we went to san francisco for a couple days and then Went up to Napa after that, and I, at the time, I didn't know much about wine, but I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the wine country. I was just intrigued by wine in general, the stories I was hearing, and I remember on the drive back to the airport, I said to my husband, we're coming back here every year, and we have, and now we go back multiple times a year, depending on what trips we have planned. Um, That's kind of where my passion started with wine. And that's when I started drinking more wine and paying attention to the wine. And then I would say, let's see, 2016 is when I started my wine blog Mm -hmm. and my, um, you know, on Instagram. And from there, it just kind of grew over the last couple of years and took off where it's now kind of like a part-time job. I wish it was more of a full, a full-time job, but, um, I'm hoping something else will come out of it. I would eventually love to work in the wine industry right now. It's still kind of a hobby, but a lot of great opportunities have come from it so far. So we'll just keep you know, plugging away and see what happens from here. Well, that's, I guess that's, that's the thing is you've invested a lot of, a lot of time and energy. You yeah. put a lot of hours into creating, creating, um, you know, and, and helping to educate and help to entertain. And, and so you put a lot of time and energy into, into it as well. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think a lot of people don't realize how much goes into a wine blog and keeping up with the Instagram We, a few months ago, were actually at a friend's house taking some wine pictures. They have a really beautiful wine cellar. And so my Insta husband, he's all, he's got his camera, he's setting up, we've got one of those light things. And, and um, our friend, the husband, he's like, gosh, I had no idea, you know, what goes into this. I just thought she took a cute picture and put it online. And it's like, oh, no, there's a lot more that's involved than that. So that's the difference between the Instagram 
you know, uh, Instagram people that you end up following and the ones you don't is the, the people who do take that time and, and, and energy and effort and, and have something meaningful to say and have, have, uh, uh, something to entertain, like I said, and that's the kind of people that you follow, like, like Nicole, um, the grape chic, uh, she puts a lot of time and energy into hers as well. Um, although I gotta say, every time I see the name, I always want to say grape chick. Chick. Right? It just it just seems to look yeah. it, but I know it's chic, but um yeah. just because it ends with a C, I don't know. I always want to say chick, but yeah, yeah she like she she friendships that have come out of all that too. So for sure. Oh I, I mean uh one of my uh favorites and, and a good friend now uh is uh Katie Truscott, who is Katie's wine life oh. who Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we we the same thing. We met on on Instagram, and we started chatting while she was in South Africa. And then now she lives about four hours away from me, so we've hung out quite a few times. Uh, so and, in Canada as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm in okay. Vancouver. Oh, awesome! Yeah, so I'm I'm like four hours from the Okanagan, four hours from from Katie, and and uh, so we've hung out a few times as well. So yeah, I'm I'm down in Vancouver, so I'm kind of not quite. In, in wine country, but pretty close. I, the, I, someday I want to get to Vancouver. I hear it's a pretty cool town. So it's on the bucket list. Yeah. It's, it, 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 it got really popular after the, after the Olympics with Whistler. A lot of people kind of woke up and realized, you know, and it's, it's literally two hours from Seattle. So yeah. it's very easy to fly into Seattle and then drive up. So yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, if you're ever up this way, we'll uh, know, we'll go for right? a glass. <laughs> now I know we will. We'll go out for yeah. wine. Actually, what are you drinking tonight? Speaking of it's a rosé from uh, France, the Mediterranean um, IGP. So it's pretty good. It's the first time I've had this one. Very refreshing. Mm. I haven't had a rosé in about a week, and you know it's summertime. So. Yeah. I drink a lot of them right now. Yeah, we're we're big on the French rosé as well. BC's got some good rosé, but uh, we still go to with Provence. You can't beat you can't, can't beat the Provence style. Yeah, yep. they're just they're special. This is um, actually a Barbera, but it's actually oh. from Australia. Nice. So I don't want to misquote my misquote, but I think there's only literally like forty acres of Barbera in Australia. And there's a guy who who there's one that we bought that's a it's a blend there's there's some Shiraz and some Tempranillo, right. um, and then this one's just straight uh, straight Barbera. So it's so cool. That compared to like an Italian one. Very very similar. Similar. Yeah, really. Um, this one I've got, I think four or five more. This one I might sit. I might let it sit a little longer. It's mm -hmm. a it's a little, it's a little overpowering. And of course, with the weather, it's, uh, yeah. you know, I just wanted to try it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I might let it sit for another six months and um, and then try another one and see how it goes. But uh, it's awesome. good, though. It's really good. Good. Yeah. I'll have to try it. I didn't know they had it down there, that varietal. It's it's funny. that That's an area for me that I've been trying to, I always talk about areas that I'm trying to, you know, kind of systematically hit more you know, and I'm an Australia. I'm on an Australian kick right now. So, yeah, I um, we don't drink a lot of Australian wines, but years ago, oh, what was the name of it? 
I'll have to look it up. Um, it was a cab. And I don't think of a Cabernet Sauvignon. I know they have them down there, but I just don't think of those very often when I'm thinking of Australian wines. Mm. And it was so good. Kitchikanoon or something like that. Does that sound familiar? It doesn't ring a bell, but yeah, they have some, they do have some decent, some decent cabs for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, yeah, that's, well, that's the thing. I mean, that's exactly what it's all about is trying those great varietals you've never tried. And, yep. and there's are, so many of them. So. Well, yeah, we, yeah, we could literally every day of the week, you can try something different and never yep. get, never get bored. Are you are you more whites whites than reds or or more reds or No, definitely reds for sure. In the summertime, I do drink more whites and reds. It it gets hot here and it's just refreshing to be outside on the patio with something cold. Uh but I drink plenty of reds during the summer as well because I I prefer reds over white yeah what what's your what's your desert island grape varietal what's what's the one the one grape that if you're stuck on on an island what would be your one grape oh man <laughs> that's a hard one i know it's hard to hard to limit it to one right right yeah i mean maybe if i could limit it to five <laughs> but pro probably a cabernet i just i that's kind of what i when I first started getting into wine, I just really enjoyed, and I would probably have to pick that one, even if it is on an island and it's hot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess given given that you started, like you said, with a lot of Napa, that's kind of like how, how you got into wine. So obviously, that's a big influence, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd agree. What what made you decide with the wine blog and with Instagram? What made you to kind of decide to take your passion to that level? Well, I've always enjoyed writing, and so it was, it was easy to find um, that outlet that allowed me to enjoy two of my passions, writing and wine, and putting the two together, and um, so that's kind of how it started. I actually did the wine blog first, so I did my website, got that all set up. And then um, did the Instagram. And as you know, Instagram is that type of platform where uh, you can get that type of audience uh, so that other things can come from it. And that's kind of what happened. I, I, I didn't necessarily think it would get to this point. I guess I was hoping it would. But I really started it as a hobby and as a passion. It's become a lot more work than I thought it'd be, but I still love it. It's 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 really fun. A lot of good things have come from it. You you get a lot of a lot of let's call it um, swag. You get a lot of of, mm -hmm. of stuff. You get a lot of of gifts. Get a lot of freebies. You get a lot of freebies. You get a lot of free wine. Yeah. Uh, a lot of yeah stuff. Just yeah. I mean, I've I've gotten I've gotten a few a few bottles here and there from doing the podcast with different uh, winemakers and wineries and stuff. Um, but yeah, you're you're definitely enjoying a few freebies for sure. And I don't want to I don't want to I hate using the word wine influencer, but um, I hate that word too. I hate that word. And so glad you hate it too. <laughs> yeah, it's but there's people in the industry that 
have a have a knowledge level and also have an influence or a uh, a connection that you would trust as as if you would trust a friend. And I think, for example, Katie and how she does a lot of her wine conversation and a lot of her talks about, especially when she was down in South Africa, she would talk about Shannon a lot and her human, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, that kind of that human element that she brings to it. It's like having a conversation with a friend and that friend is telling you, this is a great wine. You should probably, you should probably buy it as opposed to the, I'm going to pose with a, a bottle of wine and, you know, just because I'm pretty and I'm holding a bottle of wine, you should like it and, and blah, blah, blah. Well, and as you know, there's a lot more wine bloggers nowadays than there were three years ago. When I first started my um, Instagram account, I, I really feel like I was one of those trailblazers. I, I wouldn't say I was one of the first ones, but there were not very many out there when I started this. And... Um, now there's a lot out there. And like you said, some of them are just not bringing a lot of substance, I guess you could call it, to there. But I, I'm not going to discount anybody because they're putting themselves out there. They're enjoying, just like me, it's a passion. It's something that they enjoy doing. What I like to do is bring something to the table. I like to, in some way, educate my Insta fam, you know, let them know about the wine and what it tastes like and what it smells like. As you know, you follow me. I, I do a lot of that with my wines. So I, I, I'm trying, it's hard nowadays to really, I guess, stand out. There are so many uh, wine bloggers and wine influencers. I've just got to focus on my audience and why they're following me in the first place. And obviously, if what I'm doing is working, I'm going to continue to do that. The thing is, if they like it, they like it. If they don't like it, they you know they won't you know or or anybody else for that matter. If you don't like their their content, you're you're not going to follow them. You're not going to continue on if you're not liking what you're seeing. And it's kind of that whole keeping your fan base and keeping your true your true fan base. Just being genuine and, like you said, being yourself, that's what I try to do. There's been times where I think, gosh, do I need to mix it up? Do I need to try something different? And I tr I'll do that, and it doesn't work. So it's kind of like find what you're good at and what works well and what your audience likes and, and stick to it. I've, I've, got, I've had some friends who, there's a lady named Laura Milnes. She, she lives in the Okanagan as well. And she mm -hmm. says, you know, I, I love your, she goes, I love your videos. You know, they're, they're too close and there's too much forehead, but you know, <laughs> it's, it's me and it's, yeah. and it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's me talking about, uh, what I like or talking about someone that I'm going to podcast with or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it resonates enough with enough people that, you know, you get that following or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. And you know, one day, like I said, I hope this all eventually other things come from what I've started, but I'd love to put more of the education with the experience that I have with wine. That is a goal of mine to eventually do like the WSET, just so that I do have that as well. Like right now, I'm just too busy. I wish yeah. I could 
throw that in, but life is just crazy. I have, I have kids, I travel for work, and it's just not in the cards, not right now, but someday I'll, I'll get there. And well, that also adds that other layer that when you have someone who you follow and you trust and, and who also has the, the education to back it up, then that just adds that one more layer. Yeah. You know, you've got somebody very personal, like say Brian McClintock, who is very personable and very, you know, very, uh, is very good in how he educates. He also has that master Psalm designation to back up what he's telling you. So he can tell it to you as a friend, but he also happens to have the, the designation to, to say, well, yeah. you should also trust what I'm saying because I've been there and I know, you know, I've gotten the, you know. They have that credibility to, to right. back up, right? Um, but at the same time, <laughs> there's, and you probably know this as well, a lot of like sommeliers, they, they don't like all these wine bloggers. <laughs> we almost have like a bad rep because they, they think, oh, well, you don't know anything. You know, you, you haven't gone through the education piece of it or whatnot. Um, but my, my, my palate is my palate. And I'm, I'm good at distinguishing what I'm smelling, what I'm tasting. So some, like I said, someday I'd, I'd like to have that piece as well, but uh, it just hasn't happened quite yet. It's also, it also brings the topic of, of social media and wine as well, where you've got athletes, you know, now starting wineries and, and yeah. becoming, becoming, you know, people who are in the, in the scene, you've got a big social media presence. I'm thinking of, you know, uh, the Carolina, what's the Carolina quarterback, uh, Cam Newton. Yeah. Uh, he's a big wine guy, LeBron James, big wine guy. So it's kind of a unique thing now where you've got guys like them who are adding another layer on the social media side of it, where you've got superstars in the in the in the sports world up in washington uh former nfl quarterback he's got a winery now i can't remember his name off the top of my head uh drew bledsoe mm. drew bledsoe has got a winery so it's kind of interesting to see from the social media side of it yeah, yeah and I, I don't know i still i don't know how i feel about that i mean it's fine they can what they want to do they've got the money to do it that's the thing you know they've got the money to do it but I I have such a love for boutique wineries and keeping just that I don't know how to explain it but um it's just different it is different than some of the famous people that are starting their wineries and you know they have the resources they've got the money they can do it and not to say that wine's not going to be good because a lot of them probably do make some good wines. And I've actually had a couple of those type of wineries send me wines. It's, it's decent stuff, but I think it, it's different when it's a smaller, small production or both yeah. wine and, and the focus and the, and the love and the, what they can put in to that wine. They can just give it a little more attention, I think. Well, that also... That also kind of is is like a lot of the chateaus and stuff in Bordeaux that were being bought up, and yeah. a lot of the kind of the Asian influence with buying buying wine and the rise of prices and certain wineries that all of a sudden became just unattainable. 
you know, Burgundy. Burgundy now is used to be reasonable price, and now it's outrageous. Yeah. And a lot of those small boutique wineries, you can't find them anymore. But yeah. you, you kind of have to. That's one thing about the Okanagan that I like is it's new. It's say forty years old. To be honest, you've got a lot of small little little uh, mom and pop type, you know, boutique small production wineries where you can meet, you know, literally the winemakers right there. You can talk to them and um, they'll take you in the back. They'll take you, they'll go, you'll go get some barrel samples. I did a podcast a couple of podcasts ago. Uh, Kelsey from Echo Bay Vineyard. She, it's a small little, small little winery. We, we just showed up on a Sunday afternoon and we probably were there for two hours. She took us around through the vines, barrel sampling, gave us a bottle, you know, here you go. Just an amazing time uh, hanging out. And that's it's, not going to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, it's special when you get to do that. And that's kind of where my love and passion for wine started 14 years ago on my honeymoon, because we did have those experiences. We did have the winemakers pouring our wine for us at uh, a couple of the wineries and just the stories, the stories of how they got started to this day, I have not heard of a story where it was easy for them. There, a lot of them go through a lot of trials, and um, they don't get things perfect the first time around. And so it's just, it's really fun to hear the stories that they have. Even just from the farming side, you know, yeah. how many how many times has there been some, you know, chaos, some drought, or some, you know, yep. crazy rain or whatever? Yeah, that, you can't that. The wineries I do follow on Instagram, they're they're all the small guys, yeah. right? They're the small ones. They're not. I'm not following the the Lafitte's and and you know uh, that kind of stuff, right? So, yep. So you're in Utah, right? Yes. Okay, you're the one that always is always bitching about the cross state going across the border. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Have you? Do you ever yeah. follow Heather from 10K Bottles? 10K Bottles, I do follow that one. Yeah. Yes. Again, I never want to call it 10,000 bottles. I always call it 10K bottles. <laughs> but we we were, we I podcasted with Heather as well, and uh, we talked about you and your trials and tribulations. And she has a, she has a thing in, she's in Colorado, I think. Okay. I can't remember, but she has an issue with uh, corkage at winery or at uh, restaurants that they're trying to change. They don't do it. And, Oh yeah, and they're trying to change. They're trying to change the liquor laws there, where where they'll allow them to do corkage at at uh, at restaurants. But you have a, a different issue with with your state. Yes. So Utah probably has one of the strictest liquor laws out there. It's still one of those states that does not allow you to ship wine into the state. It has to go through the liquor stores. It's uh, so regulated. And so what I do, we have a PO box, we have or a shipping location in Evanston, Wyoming, which is about an hour and 15 minute drive. So it's not horrible. And we'll ship up there. But technically, what I'm doing is illegal. <laughs> because I'm shipping it there. And then I'm bringing it across the border, which Technically, I'm not supposed to do, but a lot of people do it, 
it's kind of the way to get around so that we can enjoy um, being part of wine clubs and getting the wine since they can't ship it to Utah. Yeah. We, we had similar, or we do have similar, there's actually just relaxed the laws, but we had interprovincial shipping from province to province. There was, there was regulations where there was a limit to the amount that you could, that you could, uh, ship. Mm. So they've, they've just recently relaxed the laws. So for example, there's some really good BC, uh, especially from beer or the beer side of it, even from wine. There were some really good uh, beer and wine that you couldn't get in on the East Coast. You could literally, it would always only be out here. You could never actually buy it. And so people didn't even know about, uh, because there was a lot of craft craft breweries and stuff. We're like Portland, where there's a lot of that microbreweries and stuff. No one knew in Ontario and, and, and Ontario and Quebec, and, and they would never, you know, like in Toronto, you, you, would, you would go and they would say, oh, have you heard of such and such? And they're like, no, because they couldn't get it at all. Like period, so they finally relaxed it. So going across, so the personal, I guess whatever they call it, personal consumption or whatever, they finally relaxed some of it. But at one point, you couldn't go from province to province with with it at all. Gosh, so, that's too bad. Yeah, so you yeah. know, you know how that goes then. Oh yeah, and our our uh, the taxes that we uh, I talked with Madeline from Wine Folly, and she said. You guys are passionate up there because the amount of tax you pay to drink wine, the amount of tax that they put on our wines, he goes, you guys are, you guys are pretty passionate, pretty hardcore because you're paying, you know, a $20 bottle, you're paying 28 because of the tax or whatever, you know, you're, you're paying for it. (laughs) We call it the sin tax here in Utah because they do, there's an additional tax for it that you're paying and you know, Utah, there's a lot of Mormons. Right. They don't drink, so that's why they call it the sin tax, because it's all the drinkers <laughs> that are having to pay this additional tax for their alcohol. So. Well, it's the same it's the same with wine from so I belong to a wine club that gets wine from um from outside of Canada and it'll go through the customs and go through our uh, liquor, liquor board, liquor branch here, and they'll but they'll handle all the taxes and they'll handle everything, and it's kind of incorporated into the price. But I've I've gotten wine in from from California, and they charge they wanted to charge me 116 percent customs, even though I got the wine for free. It was a, a winery that wanted to give me a, a freebie, and they're like, "Well, we're going to charge you based on the face value of the wine. We're going to charge you 116 percent tax." Oh my gosh! I know. So I'm like, so my free wine has now cost me more than it would have would have been if I bought it. Yeah. So yeah, there's some ridiculous. Yes. And there's something similar here in Utah where we can. If I found um, a winery that was willing to ship to Utah, they have to do it through the state liquor board, whatever. Technically, we can do that. It's just they're going to then do that additional tax before they allow me to pick it up. It's the whole free enterprise where they, if they don't get their their little piece of the pie, then... Exactly, yep. Yeah. yeah. We just work around it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, one, the one club that I belong to is pretty good with getting wine from a lot of, and again, from small, small production, small little wineries. Uh, and they're very good with 
so every month or every six weeks or so, it'll be a different, you know, it'll be Beaujolais or it'll be Burgundy or it'll be Australia or it'll be Spain or That's awesome. Argentina, whatever. So you'll get their little, their little catalog and then you'll be able to pick. And, but then the only other thing though, is of course you have to wait about five months. So, cause sometimes it's literally being bottled and then it's going to, you know, going to freight, then going to the port and then oh. coming around the world. And yeah. So sometimes you're like, okay. It, yeah, it is cool, and and the only thing is, you know, if I order it now, I won't get it till Christmas, basically. So, yeah. well, hopefully, it's worth the wait then. If it's good wine, so. <laughs> and that's that. That is that is the thing about wine, right? It should be worth the wait. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I I have to put stickers on some of my wines, especially if I've had like a winemaker tell me, "Don't open this for at least three years or at least five years." Because I'm very impatient. I want to drink it when I want to drink it. And so it's hard for me sometimes to wait. And sometimes I need that reminder, that little sticker saying, don't drink this yet. Not until 2020 or 2021, whenever it is. My wife and I, we almost did that with like a green, yellow, red kind of sticker system. <laughs> Color like, coded. Don't touch it. Or, or if it was really expensive wine. It's like no, yeah. that was that was seventy dollars. Don't touch it. <laughs> yeah, maybe green for the yeah. ones that are expensive and red for the do not touch. Yeah, them. it's not a Tuesday night wine with with your girlfriends that are gonna throw Sprite into it. You know. Oh God, yeah. yeah. Those friends, so bring a special bottle for them. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and she'll cause yeah, <laughs> My wife's called me sometimes, and she says, "Okay, what can I open? I'm in, I'm standing in the wine cellar. What can I what can I bring?" And I'll say, okay, come in, turn right at the bottom, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah they, know exactly where to point to. Yeah, right? so this is fun. This is this is a great time. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, this is fun. Writing is a passion for me, and this gives me a way to kind of put the two together. So recently I went on a trip to Fairfield, California, which is just outside of Napa. It's, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes away. So Visit Fairfield, California reached out to me and asked me to come take a, do a trip there so that I can go to some of the wineries and see what I think and then write an article for them, for that website. And so that is supposed to be ready to go. I mean, there's a lot involved when you write an article, apparently, that I'm just learning about now. But that will be out in a couple weeks. So cool. I'm excited about that. And I'm hoping that that will give me a little bit more exposure where uh, and will open up some of those opportunities for more freelance writing of wine and you know, different regions and things like that. So that was something fun that I just recently did. I, w I didn't know what to expect, but it's not Napa. So I'm like, okay, we'll see how they are. They actually, I was very impressed. A lot of great wineries. Nice. Out there. That's yeah. cool. That's very cool. And when, when do you think that'll be roughly? They said it will be out on the on their site probably 1st of August. Perfect. So, yeah. I'll um, obviously keep that. I'll I'll make sure to let my my Insta fam know when that's out, 
so that they can go read it. We'll connect and you can send me if you if you send me a link or whatever, I can put it into the podcast, uh, the, the notes or whatever. Yeah, I will. Cool. Have you had uh, have you been to Virginia at all and tried any of their wines out there? No, but um, I follow a couple people that are out that way, and I'm very intrigued because I don't have, honestly, I don't have, I don't think any, I don't think I've ever had a wine from Virginia, but it, it sounds like they're starting to get pretty popular out that way. There is a, a huge following of listeners of this podcast out that way. And I'm I'm dying to go out that way and try some of their wines because uh, there seems to be quite a. I haven't tried myself, but I'm I'm dying to go out there and try some. Yeah, me too. Got to get out there. So it's on the. Uh, it's also on the bucket list. We've got family out in New York, so I figure, well, maybe if we're out on the East Coast, we'll make a trip down there and try some of the wines. I'm dying to try some because it it looks like a a crazy region that's just blowing up out there. So. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, a new one to try. There's always and in New York as well. Same thing. Uh, the Finger Lakes. Uh, there's always new regions to try. Yep. Especially because that's the thing about New World wines, right? You you don't know what is out there. You don't know what to expect. You don't know what they're like in in BC. There's 80 different varietals in BC that they're uh, that we're growing. So, like I said, Virginia. Who knows how many varietals are they're they're planting out there and. That's just fun to try. Yeah, yeah. It's it's popular. It's gaining popularity. So, someday. Cool. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. Ian. Have fun. I think we're going to leave it there for now. Thanks for listening. For more wine conversation and podcast updates, you can follow us on Instagram at Ian's Wine Truths. Check out our website for great photos of our guests friendsofthevine.podbean.com take care have a blast for me